1: And I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ in Cave Creek, Arizona. Well, it's a nice day out. I just dropped my son, Josh, off at, off at the uh, the bus stop. Jonah's at school. I got two kids in school. One kid not in school and another kid on the way. Four kids. Whew. That is a lot of work. Uh, but my wife does a good job. I help out when I can. I'm kidding. I do all that I can, and uh, we work together, and, and we're we're a happy family, uh, and uh, we. But I'm just uh, it just I guess I'm bringing that up because I see some people with more than four kids, and it just baffles my mind. How do you get it done? And of course, I know how you get it done by uh, trial and error. Uh, eventually, you figure out the best uh, way to to get it done, and you work it out, and you just make it work. And uh, there's a lot of love and a lot of patience and a lot of self-control. So everybody out there who have children, and keep it up. I know there are times when it can be frustrating. It can uh, wear your patience thin, but stay strong and uh, hold to the principles that we find in God's word on raising our children. And speaking of principles, now I'm not going to be talking about children today, but I do want to talk about Principles of Christian Liberty. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 14 down to verse 1 of chapter 11. And there are some things, well, what, what I mean, there, there are some things revealed in Scripture that God demands that we do. Okay, To neglect doing these things uh, would result in a severing of relationship with Him, like repentance uh, of sin. Being baptized into Christ. I know some of you disagree with that. But uh, we'll I'll continue that discussion on a later note. Or if you want to write in or call me, we'll, we'll certainly discuss that. Uh, but I believe that's one of those things revealed in Scripture that God demands that we do. Um, in like manner, there are some things that God forbids us doing. And if we engage in whatever those actions might be, we'll be punished. Between these means of revealing his will to us... God allows some activities, but He does not require them. Therefore, we are free to choose to engage in these actions or to choose not to engage in these actions. This involves an area of activity that we call Christian liberty. The Corinthian congregation that we'll be studying here, I think they were confused about what that Christian liberty was. It becomes the topic of a real lengthy discussion from the uh, from Paul. It really starts way back at 1 Corinthians chapter six, around verse uh, ten or twelve, and it goes all the way through to chapter eleven, verse one, that we'll be looking at this uh, afternoon. And some of these uh, uh, brethren at, at Corinth had continued that pagan practice of going to the temple harlots, the prostitutes, claiming it was part of their freedom of choice in Christ. Paul corrected. That misguided presumption by showing that's immorality. That's the first part, chapter 6 there. And others, uh, so overcome by immorality of the city, thought that they could be more righteous, more spiritual, if they didn't engage in sexual gratification even with their spouses. And so Paul reminds them, there's marital responsibilities. You don't have liberty to get out of that. That's chapter 7. And in chapter 8, he chastises those who exercise their liberty to hurt or or, or to the hurt of others. And some with a weak conscience against eating meat sacrificed to idols were encouraged to violate their conscience when a stronger, more mature brother participated in that practice. So in chapters 9 and 10 Paul lays down two principles that are naturally involved in the practice of Christian liberty. The first one Freedom means that you can say no to a liberty. That's freedom. We're not under obligation to do a thing simply because it is allowed. Um, he uses himself as an example, uh, showing that he could have taken support from the Corinthian congregation for his work, but he chose not to because he didn't want to cause any kind of hindrance to the gospel of Christ. That's nine twelve. He always did all things for the sake of gospel, 923, and this meant saying no to some of his liberties. A second general principle of freedom involved the exercise of self-control. If you cannot say no to a liberty, you know, if you just can't say no, you always gotta do it. Guess what? It's no longer a liberty. It's not if you can't say no to it. So Paul here promotes self-restraint, and he uses the illustration of those athletic games there in nine twenty-four to 27. He talks about buffeting his own body, and then he adds the example of lack of self-control among the ancient Israelites there in chapter 10, 1 through 13. And in these later uh, illustrations, he emphasizes the consequences of opposing the will of God. Now in our text, I'm going to read here in just a second. It starts there in chapter 10, verse 14. Paul does two things. Number one, he makes a specific application to the Corinthian situation from his teaching on Christian liberty. That's verses 14 to 22. And then secondly, he lays down six principles to help guide us in the exercise of our freedom. And that's what we're wanting to get to. But first, for context, let's look at that first part, the admonitions against idolatry. So let's read... Chapter 10, verses 14 to 22 together. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, who we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that... The things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? All right, Paul starts this discussion in two ways. He uses that term, therefore, there in verse 14. And when you see the word therefore, you have to ask the question, wherefore? He's concluding his previous thoughts on self-discipline. And he announces that he is now speaking to, quote, wise men, there in verse 15. And this description of the Corinthian brethren is sarcasm, since they had exhibited arrogance, thinking themselves to be spiritually mature. Well, I'm going to speak to wise men here. So see, and there's many places in the Bible where it shows sarcasm is biblical. Now I like sarcasm, but I do sometimes you know get a little too carried away with it. But sarcasm biblical, so it's okay for me to do that. that Just just temper it, right? And so here he is. He's being sarcastic. He employs uh, similar things in chapter four, verse eight. You you see the sarcasm there. Uh, He announces that he's going to reason with them and wants them to pay attention. He addresses another misapplication of Christian liberty in verses 14 to 22. And as he discusses uh, those brothers who think they merely exercise their freedom in Christ when they go to these pagan temple festivals with their friends, his point is that when you participate in those rituals, you are honoring the temple gods or demons, and thus you're dishonoring God. And he substantiates that principle. In three ways. Number one, he appeals to their understanding of the Lord's Supper. In partaking of the blood of the body of Jesus, we are saying that we believe in what this means and that we have a part in his death. Only those who believe in the benefits of Jesus' death would participate in the Supper, the Lord's Supper. There is only one loaf or one meal in which we participate. All who share with us are united in sharing the purpose of this meal. Alright, that's the first thing. Number two, he reminds the Corinthians of the Israelite participation in the sacrifices, which were still being conducted in, verse, in, in Jerusalem. That's verse 18. Their participation indicates their belief in those sacrifices. These same Jews would not participate in the Lord's Supper. Because they did not believe in Jesus in like manner. No Jewish Christian would ever think of going back to the old sacrifices, having accepted the sacrifice of Jesus as payment for sins. Here's the point. When you participate in, re- in a religious ritual, you are sharing in the beliefs of that religion or ritual. And then thirdly, Paul clarifies his objection to the Christians going to these pagan festivals. It isn't that he thinks idols have any substance to them. uh, Substance, I should say. Or that is, uh, uh, he's not saying that it's wrong to eat the uh, meat sacrificed to an idol. This was more fully discussed in chapter 8. His point here is that Christians who participate in these kinds of demon worships are sharing in the belief of that religion. That's there in verse 20. We cannot have divided loyalties. And our actions reveal our loyalty. If we choose to participate in the activities of the pagan temple, we are being unfaithful to the Lord. It's much like a man who marries a woman. He pledges his love, but then he has an affair with another woman. And he might argue that, you know, it it didn't mean anything. But the wife will not accept such an excuse. It did mean something. The Corinthians may argue that they don't believe in idols, so their participation in the temple festivals that doesn't mean anything. Yet God does not see it that way. And the action would provoke God to jealousy. Verse 22. And so Paul concludes by asking the Corinthians if they think, they are spiritually stronger than a god who has been betrayed. The answer is obvious, isn't it? It is, and that leads us into the most, the, the more important section for us this afternoon. What I want us, want you to see, that's going to be First Corinthians chapter ten, verse twenty-three, and all all the way down to chapter eleven, verse one. Let's read that passage together. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market, without asking questions, for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's, and all it contains... If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks, or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that the many, so that they may be saved. All right. So, having clarified the misconception that occasional participation in pagan ritual was merely a matter of Christian liberty, Paul lays down some principles to help us know how to employ our freedoms in Christ. We will set forth these principles in a series of six questions that we can ask before we engage in any particular freedom allowed in Christ. This is so important for all Christians to know and understand today. If you if you can keep these six questions in your mind and ask these, it will go a long way to help you in your spiritual walk with Christ. Here's the first question, found in verse 23, you need to ask this. Whatever you're facing, is it profitable? Is it profitable? The word profit and I don't mean profit like uh, uh, from the old time. Profit isn't like making money. It makes us think of the business world. You know, they, they want to make profit. And in a business, you're free to spend the money you make in any way you choose. Yet some choices would not be beneficial to the health of your company. A businessman might have the funds to purchase an airplane. But simply because he can do it does not mean that he should do it, Right? Some choices are actually a drain on the business. One should only make those choices which benefit. So in like manner of that, we should ask this question regarding our choices of, our, of the liberties we have or that, the liberties that God has given us. For example, if we, are, if we are thinking that we have the freedom to engage in social drinking of alcohol, we should ask if that would really be spiritually beneficial to us. And the reason why I bring that up, some people think, I know that uh, they think that drinking alcohol is a sin, any kind of alcohol. Well, I don't see that in the Bible. But I'm not going to be pushing that on folks who think, oh, you know, drinking alcohol is a sin. I'm not going to go and try to offend their conscience unless they're they're telling me, oh, if you drink any alcohol and teach that it's okay, you're going to hell. That's not true. They can't do that. It is not of sin to drink alcohol. Nevertheless, ask this question. If you're a Christian, is it profitable to drink alcohol? Is it? I mean, come on. If you're going to be honest with yourself, it is not profitable. It's going to be, you're going to hurt the conscience of of people in the church and those who are immature. And and you're going to have a, a difficult time also with some of those who are in the world. Is it profitable? Here's the second question. Does it edify? Verse 23. The word edify just means to build up. We get our English word edifice or building from this term. Christians are people who build up one another. And we should do nothing that tears down the church. I should want to help my brothers and sisters to build a spiritual life that is pleasing to God, and they should attempt to do the same for me. And so, I would not want to do anything that would contribute to the destruction of a spiritual life. This principle certainly applied to the circumstances of the Corinthians. Some converted out of paganism. They had a conscience against eating meat sacrificed to an idol. Others, knowing that idols are nothing, they had no conscience against it. And so these later, uh, later Christians exercised their God-given right to eat the meat. However, chapter 8 points out that when those, uh, who, when those with a conscience against, against uh, eating the meat offered to idols saw others participating in it, They were strengthened to eat the meat as well, and then they violated their conscience. They felt the pang of guilt due to sin. Such a freedom, then, was destructive to the church. In that case, it was not edifying. Paul declared, chapter 8, verse 13, If food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. That I might not cause my brother to stumble. In other words, what he's saying is, what's more important? That liberty of me eating that meat or my brother and sister in Christ? Well, your brother and sister in Christ is more important. Obviously. Obviously. Third question. Found in verses 24 to 30 here. Am I doing this just for me? Before we decide about exercising a lawful liberty, we need to consider how it affects others. Paul uses the illustration in the ongoing discussion of eating meat, sacrificed to idols, and he lays down specific principles. If you buy meat at the marketplace, don't ask if it came from a temple. Just leave it alone, since everything belongs to God. If you're invited to a meal... Eat anything set before you, but if you discover that the meat was first sacrificed to an idol, don't eat it, he says. Here's why. You should not eat because of another's conscience who might see you. And your participation, knowing the scruples of others, will result in controversy, condemnation of your freedom. Don't do it. Stay away from it. You're going to hurt the conscience, possibly the spiritual walk of another. So, don't do it. Here's the fourth question. Verse 31. Does this glorify God? When we think of glory, we think of what shines forth that honors God. Do our actions cause God to shine forth in the hearts of people, or do they dull his brilliance? our actions should always honor God, not dishonor him. Certainly, causing a brother to sin or to even think unkindly toward us does not bring glory to God. It might be that I would have the right to store a six-pack of beer in my refrigerator. Got that right. I had that liberty. Perhaps I would use it only in a... Uh, you know, using it at my barbecue, or, or, or maybe even uh, you know, just have a half a can a day without ever reducing, uh, uh, being reduced to drunkenness. But if you saw that item in my refrigerator, what would you think of me as a preacher? Honestly, be honest. Would that glorify God? No, it wouldn't. Here's the fifth question. This is down in verses 32 and 33. Does this give offense? In these verses, Paul is not saying that we must try to please everyone in every action. That would be impossible. In context, he is referring to the scruples of people, whether Jew or Gentiles, uh, and to the consciences of those in the church. If we know That an action would be unduly offensive to someone, we should choose not to exercise that particular liberty. If I lived in a Jewish neighborhood and the whole block had a potluck, do you think it would be wrong for me to bring pork chops? Or I I love pork ribs. Maybe I should bring. Would it be wrong for me to bring pork ribs, knowing what they their thoughts on eating pork? Man, don't do that. You know we shouldn't do that. The bottom line is simply that we will make decisions that will endear us to people and not antagonize them in order that they may be saved. Here's the last question. i, I neglected to read the passage. Ch- uh, chapter breaks are put in there by men. Chapter 11 is not the end here, verse 1, I think belongs with this section where Paul says, "Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ." It belongs in this discussion of Christian liberty. Paul used himself as an example in chapter 10:33, <clears throat> excuse me. And now he exhorts the Christian Corinthians, "Be imitators of me, just as I also know Christ." Christ is the ultimate standard of behavior, and Paul reflects this standard in his own application of Christian liberty. Would Jesus demand his rights on every occasion? The answer is obviously no. Neither does Paul, and neither should we. On one occasion, when Jesus was home, the authorities demanded he pay the poll tax, from which he was obviously exempt. He was. He could have made a, an issue out of the situation. He could have demanded his rights, but he didn't. He paid the tax for both himself and for Peter, didn't he? His reasoning to Peter was, "Lest we give offense." Matthew 17:27. Jesus was more concerned about the effect of his actions on other people than he was about his rights. In making our decisions about our own freedoms in Christ, we should follow his example. Should we get a tattoo? Should we pierce a body part? Paint our hair green? Drink a glass of wine? Chew tobacco? Or do a thousand other possibilities? Perhaps... These may fall into the arena of Christian liberty. But applying these six principles will help us make the right decision about them, won't, won't it? Don't you agree? I think you would. And so remember these questions Is it profitable? Does it edify? Am I doing this just for me? Does this glorify God? Does this give offense? Am I imitating Christ? You know. God knows. We have liberty. Yes. But that liberty can be chosen to either do or not do. And you need to be concerned about those in Christ and how the world views us. Because how the world views us is how they're going to view God. We want to be a light to the world. Okay? And we ought to be asking these questions on everything. Now, I'm I'm giving this lesson here on the radio program today, not not just for you, it's for me too. I need to do these things. Sometimes I don't. I I listen to the news, I get frustrated, I see the differing political opinions out there, and I'm like, oh, I just want to get angry. But that does not edify. That does not bring glory to God. I need to ask these questions. Not all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And so with all the time we were given by the Lord, let us make the most of it. Let us redeem the time with the blessings He has given to each and every one of us.
0: Ring it out,
1: ring it out, ring it out.
0: This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. Be sure to check out the podcast for this program on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com. To find it, just go to the website and click on the podcast link at the top of the page